What a gorgeous day. It, uh, it did not get that hot, and uh, the humidity was not that bad, which means we had a really, really nice day. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And it didn't rain today, right? Didn't rain today? We had a good rain last night, but it didn't rain today. <coughs> so, Lori, you going to be okay with that? It didn't rain today. Still okay? Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Tonight we're going to be in Isaiah 50, and Lord willing, we're going to tackle chapter 51 as well. We'll see how, how the night goes. I have been reminded and blessed, encouraged, how the book of Isaiah seems to wrap all away around the scriptures. It seems like it just gets its tentacles involved in all parts of the scriptures, from the very beginning to the very end. It just encompasses the whole, and it's so exciting. It's like, um, it's like taking the whole Bible and putting it in a colander, and what you get out of the bottom is Isaiah. It just, it just filters down. You get all these wonderful, wonderful, condensed truths in this book. It's a wonderful book. It, uh, sadly, because of our culture, and because we, in our own uh, language, have, have, have grown so illiterate, it's, it, we, we miss much of the beauty and the truths in the Scripture in the English language. We miss it because some of the, some of the way it's written is a little more challenging to read, challenging to keep up with. And, and the literary uh, method, the, the poetic way it's written, it really forces sometimes to, to pay attention. And it's not like some other books where you can just kind of read it gently. This way you really got to pay attention into it. And uh, between that and the help I have of some wonderful commentaries, um, I've been, be very, been very blessed. So, let me read uh, a couple of verses, and then we'll pray and get into tonight's lesson. Isaiah 50, beginning verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all, that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness, their fish stinketh, because there's no water, and dieth for thirst. If you're taking notes, Roman number one, God's people failed to repent at His judgment. They failed to repent. When, uh, when you did something wrong growing up, and you were caught, and you had to answer for that, one of your parents, and you were disciplined for it, did you repent? The honest simple truth is, more than likely, somewhere along the line, you did repent. Because had you have set a pattern of non-repentance, you wouldn't be here tonight. That rebellious streak in you would have prevented you from having any desire, any appetite, for the things of God. Perhaps, perhaps in your family, perhaps you were the one or one of only a couple 
that did, in fact, repent because you saw a brother or a sister that did not, and you saw the direction their life took. So tonight, we're going to look at the sister, if you will, that was disciplined but did not repent. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your love, and thank you for this incredible book of Isaiah. It's been an amazing journey, Lord. And Lord, I, I do thank you for chapters 1 through 39 because those are desperately needed. But it's such refreshment now for us to be in these chapters. I pray, Lord, that tonight you might give us a quickening of our mind. And Lord, keep us alert and give to us tonight what we need. And we'll thank you for it. For we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Letter A. God refuted Judge, uh, Judah's accusation that he had divorced them. God refuted their accusation that he had divorced them. As judgment fell on God's people, they accused God of forsaking them. They must have made statements suggesting that God had divorced them as his people. He denied such an act and asked them to produce the paperwork showing that he had, in fact, cut them off as his people. Show me the papers of our, of our divorcement. Show me where I went to court and divorced you. He put the responsibility back on them. They had been grossly involved in their idolatry, by all appearances, themselves giving up on God. They were being judged by their sins, for their sins, but in his mercy they remained as his own people. Jeremiah 3.14, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. And I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. I am married to you. Verse 2, Wherefore when I came was there no man, when I called was there none to answer. Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem, or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea, I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh because there's no water and dieth for thirst. Letter B, God's awesome power was ignored by his people. Can you imagine the audacity? The God who spoke the worlds into existence, his own people, ignoring the fact that he was such a powerful God. When God came to his people, none responded to him. His pleas to them fell on deaf ears. He reminded them of his great power, and at the time he parted the Red Sea, only to close it again, encompassing the Egyptian army. Exodus 7:21, And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Those plagues that God brought upon Pharaoh and his people, God was the one that did that. Judah's God was the one that performed those incredible, incredible miracles. And now they're ignoring him. Verse 3, I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. Letter C, God's power was demonstrated in the thick darkness. One of God's plagues upon Egypt was darkness. His power is not limited in that he could spread that same darkness over the whole world. Exodus 10, and verse 21 and following, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, 
that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Roman numeral 2, the mission of the Messiah. Verse 4, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. A letter A, the Messiah would be gifted in speaking. The ministry of the Messiah would include rich teachings demonstrating a grasp of spiritual truth unmatched by any of the other teachers or rabbis. His ministry included not only that of a religious teacher, but also a consoling counselor. There will come a day when Israel will enjoy those blessed qualities as Jesus finally rules in Jerusalem in the millennium. In John 7, 15 and 16, the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. Verse 5, The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Letter B, the Messiah would yield his will to his Father. The Lord's willingness to yield His will to His fathers in the garden is likely in view here, saying, Luke 22:42, saying, Father, if Thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but Thine be done. Verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair, I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Pretty graphic description of who we're talking about here in this verse. Let her see the Messiah would be shamefully beaten. Shamefully beaten. His back would be shredded by the cat of nine tails. Each leather throng embedded with sharp objects to rip the flesh, causing more severe pain. His beard would be cruelly yanked out, and his face would drip with the disgusting phlegm and spittle that would fly from the vile mouths of his tormentors. We talked uh, briefly on Sunday about God's holiness. Holy Son of God. When I comprehend what Jesus went through and the shameful treatment that he received, Bad enough to say vile things about him, but to buffet him, to take him as hard as you can, hit him in the face, to clear your throat, and to spit on him. You can see him dripping with that vile, vile spit. That's our holy Savior. In Mark, four, in Mark 14, 65, And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him 
say unto him, Prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. Verse 7. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Letter D, the Messiah would draw strength from his Father. The faith and dependence of Jesus upon his Father is emphasized here. This is so beautiful. We were just today talking about the Trinity. It's, 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 it's a concept the likes of which we will not completely understand this side of eternity. There's one God. One God. But in that God are three distinct personages. And Jesus came to be born in flesh. And in that flesh, he endured all of the suffering that human flesh could endure. During that time, he was receiving strength. He was receiving strength from his Father and from the Holy Spirit. You see, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus, was not a time where only Jesus suffered. It was an agonizing experience for the Heavenly Father. Nothing said about the Spirit I think of. But the Spirit is characterized as that emotional being. Is it possible that all, of all the persons of the Godhead, the Spirit groaned more than the others? I don't know. The faith and dependence of Jesus upon his Father is emphasized here. Looking toward the cross demanded much faith and confidence that his Father would help him through the dreadful ordeal. In Psalm 54, 55, I'm sorry, 54 and verse 4, Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. Verse 8, He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. The work of the Messiah was justified by his Father. The Father would not allow the Messiah to endure his ordeal alone. The Lord Jesus would be justified by his Father or shown that his work was righteous. After being declared righteous by his Father, who could bring any charges against the Lord? God said he's righteous. No one can bring charges against him because God cleared him. If they dare let his adversaries come near him, they will find him to be limitless in power. Verse 9, Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. Letter F, the Messiah will stand impervious to false accusation. Christ had the assurance of his Father's help. After being justified by his Father, no charge could stand against the Lord, for he was declared righteous. All who would bring accusations, all false, would be destroyed. Think of those that were hired 
to speak lies against the Lord. The judgment that will be upon them. Psalm 102, verse 26, They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them that shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. Roman number three, the faithful of God. The faithful of God. Verse 10, Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord, and stay upon his God. Letter A, God's faithful people are given a word of encouragement. It's time, even in this chapter, it's time now for us to take a breath of fresh air. God gave his people a glorious encouragement here. To those who feared and obeyed him, when times of darkness come, troublesome and fearsome times, when they can't see their way, they can trust confidently in their God. Our God is faithful and promises to deliver his children when they call upon him for help. Psalm 28, verse 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. Verse 11, Behold, all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire, and in the sparks that ye have kindled. This shall ye have of mine hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow. <laughs> We're going to be going on a men's camp out here shortly, and I love those times. I don't love the aches and pains in the morning, but I, I love getting out there and just being with the guys. It's a lot of fun. We built this big bonfire, and that bonfire goes for um, a good portion of the night. I've never been awake when it dies. I'm out cold by then. But I've noticed something really incredible, especially the young ones. They love to stir up the sparks and get them going. So much fun. You take those sparks, and it's pitch black out. And against that black sky, these bright red sparks are going up, and, and they go up. All of a sudden, poof, they're gone. They just disappear. Go up, go on, disappear. Now, with that image in your mind here, God offers, uh, letter B, the ungodly can expect darkness. God offers the contrast to his provision of light and deliverance to his faithful children. When times of darkness come to the ungodly, they look everywhere but to God for light. But what do they do? They trust in human devices to guide them. But as sparks make their way upward and suddenly go out, so the light of their devices will leave them in the dark. Their end will be in sorrow. Verse 1, chapter 51. Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are dug. Digged. Let her see. The faithful of Israel were to consider their roots. Think where you came from. God had a message of encouragement to the faithful yet remaining among his people. He encouraged them to consider from where they came. They had been hewn out of a rock and digged out of a pit. These refer to their heritage in Abraham. Proverbs 21, 21, He that followeth after righteousness and mercy 
findeth life, righteousness, and honor. Continuing verse number 2, Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. So letter D, Israel sprang from Abraham, a man of great faith. He's known as the father of faith for Jew and Gentile alike. God called Abraham from the land of Ur of the Chaldees to go to a land of God's choosing. God blessed Abraham for his faith in him. Genesis 17, 15, God said to Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. What a blessed promise. What a blessed promise. But as the years tra transpired, she began to doubt and wonder. Is this really going to happen? Until finally she looked in the mirror one day and realized, this can't be. I'm old. How can I that am old have a baby? Verse 3. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Letter E, of course, this is God. God gives a look to his blessing upon Israel in the millennium. God directed his faithful to look to a day in which he would bless the land once again. It's a blessed look to the thousand-year reign of Christ when God will restore the land of Israel into a garden of Eden state. Joy and gladness will resound in the land in that day. Number four, the light of salvation. Verse four, hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation, for a law shall proceed from me. And I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. Now, if that's all you had of the chapter, you're not going to understand the fullness of the meaning. God had already given them a law through Moses a long time before. And now he says, I'm going to give a law to you. It's a new law. Letter A, God declared that he would issue forth a law to light the people. Moses' law was not given to light the people. God calls to his people to carefully listen to him as he declares that from him will proceed a law. The meaning of this word seems to suggest the law of righteousness or the gospel. Further insight is indicated calling it a light of the people. Jesus, of course, was the light of the world. Luke 2, 30 for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. Verse 5. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth, and mine arms shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me, 
and on mine arm shall they trust. Letter B, the Messiah would bring salvation to all the nations of the world. I think that this verse personifies righteousness by suggesting my righteous one, the Messiah. He will bring salvation as an offering to the whole world. Those rejecting his gracious offer will one day be judged by the same one giving them that offer. His offer will go not just to the Jews, but to the Gentile or the isles or nations as well. Even the Gentile nations will trust in him for salvation. For God so loved just the Jews? For God so loved the world. Verse 6, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Ooh, there's some amazing contrasts in this verse. Letter C, the earth and the heavens are temporary, but salvation is forever. You see, we get all that mixed up. We think this is reality. This is going to last forever. This life is going to go on forever. And what we can understand is this life is temporary. This is the, this is the, this is the, uh, the, uh, the, the pseudo life, if you will. The real life is waiting for us in glory. Following Christ's millennial reign, he will destroy the earth and the heavens and bring in a new heaven and a new earth. All those refusing his gift of salvation will perish. But all who have put their trust in him will enjoy eternal life with Christ forever, never to be abolished. Number five, no need to fear the unsaved. Verse seven, hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. Letter A, God told his people to not be afraid of the jeers of the unsaved. Little phrase, ye that know righteousness, would be those who have trusted in Jesus the Messiah. Though the direct application is probably the Jew. The people in whose heart is my law can apply to anyone who has God's law in them or have trusted in the Messiah, Jew and Gentile alike. The encouragement is not to be afraid of men's reproaches or revilings. God was reminding them that in Him they had nothing to fear. Even the worst criticisms and accusations unsaved men had to spew at them. You don't need to worry about them, He said. Oh, but Lord, it's scary. It's frightful. It's nervous. He said, you don't have to worry about them. Ezekiel 2.6, And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou, thou dost dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Verse 8, for the moth shall eat them up like a garment, the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation 
from generation to generation. Letter B, the unsaved will be destroyed through God's offer of salvation, though God's offer of salvation was repeated over and over. The, the unsaved will be destroyed. See, that's why he says, don't need to fear them. You don't need to worry about them. They're just a, a blast of smoke. They're going to be gone. They're going to be destroyed. But you're going to last forever in heaven. You don't need to fear them. The end of the lost could not be any more different than that of the saved. Can't even begin to describe the joy it's going to be like for believers in heaven. Can't even begin to describe the torments for those in hell. God will judge the unsaved who will spend eternity suffering in painful agony, while his righteous ones at the same time will be enjoying their heavenly forever. God's offer of salvation will be extended to each generation before finally being cut off as the Lord Jesus returns in glory to destroy all the unsaved at Armageddon. Number six, a message of encouragement to the captives. Let's not forget, Isaiah was given to a, the people there. Israel had already been taken captive. He's given it to the people of Judah, specifically those in Jerusalem. Uh, the Assyrians are on their way. They're already causing all sorts of problems. By the time the book is completed, the Assyrians have already, have already attacked. And it's to those people. They're not in captivity in Babylon yet. But God has given all these messages of encouragement as if they were already there because he knew they would need this once they got there. Verse 9, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? What's that mean? <laughs> Letter A, the people in captivity cry out to the Lord for deliverance. I'm so grateful for smart men who studied this and understand it. I can go to them and sing. I feel like a dunce sometimes reading this. And uh, after taking 12 or 15 different commentaries and throwing out the ones that make no sense, you take the ones that seem, yeah, that, that can make sense. Then I read letter A, the people in captivity cry out to the Lord for deliverance. With a look to the Jews in exile, they cry out for deliverance. They called him to awake as in the ancient days. God, will awake like it used to be. Awake for us now. Get, come, we need you. Wake up. Those were the days described in this verse and the next of great events that God did for them after their exodus from Egypt. Rahab is another name for the country of Egypt. The dragon might be referring to Pharaoh in this verse. God severely wounded Egypt as a result of the plagues he leveled against them, and he wounded the dragon by destroying his land and his credibility as a leader after stubbornly refusing to allow Israel to leave and losing his army in the Red Sea. Psalm 44, verse 1, We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days in the times of old. Verse 10, Art thou not it which hath dried the sea, 
the waters of the great deep, that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? Letter B, God's mighty deeds are here recalled. In their cry, they reminded God and themselves of the miraculous things that God had done in the past. If God could do it to then, why couldn't he do it now? We're in distress, God. You parted the Red Sea back then. You, you destroyed the Egyptian army then. We're in need now. In their exodus, God parted the Red Sea and dried the seabed to allow them to pass over on the other side. This was talking about here. Verse 11, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Better see, joy and singing will accompany the returning Jews to Jerusalem. Now, I think this is primarily looking to a time um, during the millennium where from all parts of the globe, Jews return to their homeland, to, to Jerusalem. But more immediately, I think it's a look to those for 70 years had been in bondage in Babylon. And God says, okay, you can go back. And he uses an amazing miracle. He uses Cyrus to direct them back and provides the resources. And a remnant went back to rebuild the temple and then the walls. In Isaiah 65, 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying which did not happen when the remnant went back, because there's a lot of mourning and crying and weeping and feeling sorry for themselves then. There will not be in the millennium. Verse 12. I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldst be afraid of a man that shall die, and of the son of man which shall be made as grass? Letter D. Why would God's people fear mortal men, when He is their comforter? In that God is the source of all comfort, why would His people fear what man can do unto them? The most offensive, vile, combative man in the world will one day die and return to dust. Why? God says, why would you fear such weakness compared to Almighty God? 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Verse 13, And forgettest the Lord thy Maker, that hath stretched forth the heavens, and laid the foundations of the earth, and hast feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy? And where is the fury of the oppressor? Letter E, how foolish to fear mere mortals when God the Creator is on our side. Again, God asked His people how they could forget Him. God spoke the worlds into existence in just six days. How could His people fear mere mortals that are subject to all the weaknesses of the flesh? No matter how ferocious the enemy appears, God's greater and has shown Himself able to deliver. Verse 14, the captive exile hasteneth that he may be loosed, and that he should not die in the pit, nor that his bread should fail. Letter F, even in bondage, God would watch over his people. 
God's people would soon find themselves in exile in Babylon, longing to be loosed and return to their homeland. They'd be there for about 70 years, as predetermined by God. They, as a people, would not die out in bondage, nor would they starve to death. God would care for them even during their time of judgment. Isaiah 48, 20, Go ye forth of Babylon, flee ye from the Chaldeans. With a voice of singing declare ye, tell this, utter it even unto the end of the earth. Say ye, the Lord hath redeemed his servant Jacob. Verse 15, But I am the Lord thy God, that divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. Letter G, the mighty God would be Israel's deliverer. The mighty one who would not forsake his people, but would faithfully deliver his people from captivity is the Lord God. He is powerful in dividing the Red Sea. He will be powerful in Judah's deliverance. Isaiah 48, 2, for they call themselves of the holy city and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. Verse 16, And I have put my words in his mouth. I have covered thee in the shadow of mine hand, that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth, and say unto Zion, Thou art my people. Letter H. God gave his word to and offered his protection to Israel. God gave his word at, to and through his people. He has also faithfully protected His people, declaring that His creation was for the express benefit of His people. God was unashamed to call Israel, My people. Romans 3, 2, Much every way, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Isaiah 59, 21, As for me, this is My covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I put in thy mouth, shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. In other words, I'm not giving up on you as a people. Number seven, Judah's judgment would fall. Verse 17, awake, awake. Stand up, O Jerusalem, which hast drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. Thou hast drunken the dregs of the cup of trembling and wrung them out. Letter A, Judah was staggering from judgment. God warned them to pay heed and repent. God had used Assyria to judge Jerusalem and Judah. And they were reeling from their attacks just like a drunken man from too much alcohol. God warned them to wake up from their stupor and recognize their condition, why they were in the condition they're in. They were drunken with sin and idolatry, about to face more judgment unless they repented. Verse 18, There is none to guide her among all the sons whom she hath brought forth, neither is there any that taketh her by the hand of all the sons that she hath brought up. Letter B, God eventually stopped sending his people prophets to warn them. It was a sad day for Judah when God stopped sending prophets. 
Judah, having none to guide her, may describe their condition after the time of Malachi when God stopped sending prophets to warn his people. For 400 years, there was silence from God until John the Baptist came on the scene. This could also be the era of the church age when God works primarily not with the Jews, but with the Gentiles, with no prophet designated to the Jews apart from faithful soul winners. In Amos 5, 2, the virgin of Israel is fallen. She shall no more rise. She's forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. Verse 19, these two things are come up unto thee. Who shall be sorry for thee? Desolation and destruction, the famine and the sword, by whom shall I comfort thee? And he says something interesting. He says, by two, by two, but there's four things. So I think he's talking about two couplets of things or two pairs of things here. Let her see God's judgment would prevent any comfort. There's two kinds or forms of judgment talked about here, ordained against Judah by God. First is desolation and destruction against the land and famine and sword against the people. Their wickedness had brought God's judgment. Who could comfort them when God has bring judgment to them? Verse 20, Thy sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets as a wild bull in a net. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of thy God. Letter D, judgment would fall and men would try to flee in terror. Just like animals are rounded up and caught, so the men of Jerusalem would lie in defeated heaps at God's judgment. Many in the streets of Jerusalem would be closed off by gates in the evening. The picture is groups of men trying to escape the city, only to be blocked in their escape by the gates that are shut. When God's judgment would fall, men would flee, trying to escape it in terror. Verse 21, Therefore, hear now this, thou afflicted and drunken, but not with wine. Letter E, judgment would drive men out of their minds with fear. God's message would ring out to his afflicted people as judgment fell. They would be afflicted by their tormentors and drunken with the overwhelming fear of God's judgment. They would reel to and fro from fear and confusion, just as would a drunk. Isaiah 63, verse 6, I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury. I'll bring down their strength to the earth. And some of you know the sheer panic of fear. Something happens, something suddenly happens, just that horrible panic. Perhaps, perhaps you think all of a sudden you can't find a toddler in the store. And after just a few moments, panic sets in. Fear. Perhaps you're out in a dark night and you think you're being chased. Panic sets in. That, that overwhelming fear. It's hard to describe the fear that's been talked about here, but it was so pervasive, they were like they were drunk out of their minds. Number eight, God would bring Judah's vindication. Verse 22, Thus saith thy Lord, 
the, uh, thus saith thy Lord, the Lord, and thy God that pleadeth the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling, even the dregs of the cup of my fury. Thou shalt no more drink it again. Did you notice? He's going to take that cup out of their hand. A cup of trembling. I'm going to take that cup out of your hand. Letter A, the same God who brought Judah's judgment would also bring their deliverance. Here's an amazing look to the mercy and providence of a loving God who not only brings corrective judgment to his people, but also delivers them in his timing. He promised there would come a day in which all their chastening would be over. Hallelujah. In verse 23, But I will put it into the hand of them that afflict thee. What? I'll put what in the hand of them that afflict thee? Well, what did he just take out of this hand? The cup of trembling. I'm going to put it in their hand. This imagery is incredible. Which have said to thy soul, Bow down, that we may go over. And thou hast laid thy body as the ground and as the street to them that went over. Better be. Judas' enemies would soon experience God's judgment upon them. To the afflictors of his people, God warned the judgment he was inflicting upon his people would soon be on them. And the image he gave is incredible. It's the image of a conquered king. In their day, once a king was conquered, it was very typical for the, for the victorious king to take the enemy and force him on the ground. And the victorious king would take his foot and he would step on his neck. For all to see, not to kill him, but to show I am victorious. I found this interesting. Joshua 10.24 It came to pass when they brought out those kings unto Joshua. Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said unto the captains, the men of war, which went with him, Come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet upon the necks of the kings. Judah's enemies would soon experience God's judgment upon them. Thank you, Lord, for chapters 50 and 51. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks tonight for your love, for your incredible mercy. How easy it would have been for you to give up on those people that give up on you. Lord, instead of giving up on them, you look to a time in the future where you've got a glorious, glorious time prepared for them. Lord, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for demonstrating that mercy to us as well. Lord, I thank you for these chapters. Would you help us to gain truths from them and to live by those? Lord, thank you for this evening. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.